I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This episode is part two of the interview that I did with Kyle Geiger earlier last week. Uh, it went on a little bit longer than we expected, so I've decided to split it into a couple parts and take the best stuff. Uh, I don't think there's really a need to go back into Kyle's history again, but I'll just reiterate that he's a cool dude and he's entertaining, and uh, we had a great time. We ended up talking about random stuff for around four hours, kind of forgetting the microphone was there, and, uh, well, yeah, that means some things had to get cut out, but we still got some good stuff to talk about on the show today. Uh, One quick thing before I jump into the episode... He was giving me a little crap last week about how I would never make it into his top eight on MySpace. Uh, I had to go and find his press kit for my website. And, of course, I went to KyleGeiger.com. And what do I see there in the year 2016? A link to MySpace. So I go ahead and click the link. And guess who's in the top eight? This motherfucker right here. So eat it. Here we go. We're already in the discussion. Have fun. I, I've never had somebody say, hey, we were going to have you and Dustin play, but we decided on Tiesto instead. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We spend a, a lot of energy in these underground uh, music scenes talking about the this EDM stuff and... Yeah, What's I just think it's, it's a, a lot of energy spent on something that's pretty inconsequential. Yeah, it has nothing to do with us in a way. But there has been times where people have said, we wanted to have Kyle Geiger and Dustin Zahn play, and then at the end of the night decided, but we decided we weren't going to pay them. That did happen one time. I was just thinking about that. You know, every once in a while, the guy who booked us for that night, it's always... It's always kind of uncomfortable when you have the, if you've got a Gmail account, which I think everybody does, um, every good person, no, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think everybody's got a Gmail account that maybe they use or they don't use, but when there's the chat window, there's the G chat and it, it, some names, I don't know what the, the system is because clearly not everybody that's got a Gmail window open has the chat on or whatever. But occasionally this guy who who owes us <laughs> still not even a lot of money. I mean, no, it was not quite a lot a long of money, ago, but, but just it money. was my it was my birthday. It party. was your birthday. My birthday party that I got stiffed on. Um, and uh, and we yeah, spent a hundred dollars on a taxi ride to the airport. Oh, we did out of pocket. Yeah. Did we even go? Did we go straight to the airport from that? Indeed. Oh man, that was just a. Uh, that was just a strange, a strange night. I remember, yeah, there's, uh, once, you know, there, every DJ has been at a party where maybe they're supposed to get paid no matter how much. And the promoter reaches into their pocket. This is American scene right yeah. here. I, I can't, <laughs> I don't know, uh, uh, if this ever really happens in Europe. Um, I've had but, it happen in Germany. But you, you, the promoter reaches into their pocket and they've got like crumbled up cash, kind of like a 12 year old that's like buying his first uh, collection of comic books and they mm-hmm. just like lay it on the counter 
and they start counting it out one by one and it's usually one dollar bills or five dollar bills and you say oh my gosh oh what are we gonna do but the, but and what I was seven dollars later yeah, <laughs> yeah what i was saying is is this guy pops up on the the g chat and because we're in we're so uh connected through the digital world sometimes you feel like you're standing in the same room because he sees me on on g chat too like you're you're kind of standing in this same virtual room or at a party with this person. You're like, you owe me money, but I bet if kind I like if your ex is there at the party or something, <laughs> if I wrote you right now, I bet you wouldn't respond. Oh yeah, but I've always thought about like what I wonder. It could be just kind of like a sport, you know? Like let's see if, uh, if we can rip this person off. No, no, not not rip the person off, but like let's try to get the money back. Uh, that we're owed. Oh, yeah. you know. No, I mean, I, I, I still do that on a regular basis for small things like people don't show up to uh, bring me to the airport when they're supposed to, and then I have to eat 50 euros in a taxi to the airport, and uh, which happened twice uh, right at the end of the year last year. And while it's not the end of the world, it's like, well, that adds up to 100 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and... Really, there's better things to do than chase people over 50 bucks each. You know what I mean? So where are these $100 taxis that you're tracking down in the world? Well, I mean, when you think about it, anytime you're playing in a bigger city, the taxi's always going to be at least 30 to 40 minutes away. So you hop in a taxi. I mean, from my place right here in Berlin out to Tegel or Schoenfeld, either of the airports, it's 31 bucks. Yeah, now, and Berlin's a cheap taxi place. You you take in like Amsterdam. That's oh one of the places goodness. where I uh, then the driver didn't show up, and I had to take a taxi. That was seventy euros. Well, you hey, know what I mean? here's a funny story. I'm I'm playing in Utrecht for these guys um, in two weeks, but the first time I played in Utrecht for these guys, it was with David Truncate, and for some reason. Uh, we got picked up in a cab. The promoter met us at the airport and he picked us up in a taxi and we got to, we're headed to Utrecht. Um, I think I don't, I don't say it quite Dutch enough, but the, before we got the, the tarmac out of our site in the taxi cab were, I think I looked at the meter and we were at 50 Euro. Um, that's a really defeated feeling even when you're not paying for the taxi. And I asked the promoter, I said, why, why are we taking a taxi to surely there's a train that's running? And he said, well, some DJs are a little bit weird about riding uh, on the trains. And I'm thinking, you know, probably the safest thing on the planet. They're, the they're safer. A lot of times just as clean. They're almost always faster. Definitely more comfortable. Yeah. Arguably, arguably. <laughs> yeah. And y- you can fart on them and, and the driver's not going to stop the car or anything just That's for true. one person farting. But on usually a train. it's the driver that does it and yep. you, you're locked in. <laughs> he locks the windows, <laughs> turns up the heat. <laughs> How much are you going to tip me? <laughs> okay. That's not enough. And then you have to kind of negotiate from there. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we got? Um, oh, here's something I thought about. So we, we're talking about, let's, let's take 
the about once uh, let's say once a year um there's somebody who samples quote unquote a record and then there's this big public accusation of of somebody sampling a record or they they stole my synth line and and then you go listen to the synth line and and you realize it's one note and it's a sine wave and you say i don't know if you really own that synth line to begin with but what's interesting is you have these uh techno music is a very international scene i would say i'd say more international than probably most music partly because we just have to travel pretty far to find people who like us and uh the the thing with being an international collective is if we're gonna apply right and wrong to to something who defines that right and wrong and and what i mean by that is i would say let's a lot of people view sampling as stealing mm-hmm. so you've got you've got pretty much across the board i don't know any culture that really says we think stealing is a good thing. But what there is, is that there's a lot of different things that different cultures consider or do not consider stealing. Let's take, say, for example, maybe you're bored here in Germany and you want to watch a movie. And then you go on iTunes and you say, oh, that movie costs about 15 euro to rent or 6 euro to rent for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, Maybe somebody would be keen on going on a VPN and going to Sweden because Sweden has a very different perspective on what stealing looks like. Sure. Um, So when you start applying these uh, universal standards to an international scene and holding these people to these standards that maybe come from a different culture, I've been in... uh, I've been playing gigs before in different countries and the DJ before me will play one of my tracks and they'll like tap me on the shoulder and point to the CDJ and on the metadata you can tell that oh, yeah. you can tell that it's been pirated and it's got like the blog logo on it with the yeah, address yeah. and all that <laughs> and you say I wow I don't know I don't yeah, I mean, the person at the end of the day is like excited to be that's by their definition, they're supporting me. Sure. If if they if they didn't think that they wouldn't tap me on the shoulder and um you know, let me know that they're playing a track that they illegally downloaded. And so there's this there's a lot of wiggle room on on a lot of these issues that people are being condemned on uh, for the, you know, it, it's it's presented that they did something universally wrong. They say they stole, they stole this from me, and stealing even even in a legal court uh, system. Uh, sampling and s- stealing when sampling becomes stealing is a very gray area. And I would say nine out of 10 times that there's some explosion on the whatever in the techno stratosphere about somebody sampling something. I don't really know if it would hold up in court. 
Um, if they, if you said, I, I'm accusing this person of stealing my music, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think maybe sometimes the judge would even throw it out. Well, it's quite possible. I mean, of course, that's going to be on a case-by-case basis. It's just my my biggest thing is is um, I think people get upset that and because it's it shows a certain laziness, like you're not a uh, creative enough producer, and I I think that angers them more than the act of stealing itself. Um, because if you were to take a loop and make it your own, or like not even a loop but a sample, and like really mold it to your way nobody would if they, they either a wouldn't notice because you're that creative or b they'd be like oh they really use that well like uh alternates uh what is it activate the old track and it's got like it's like the old breakbeat tune uk hardcore and then right in the middle it's got strings of life that just pops in in the middle <laughs> but it still was like a number one hit in the uk or well up there in the charts and i think yeah. maybe even germany and holland as well it's an all-time classic, but you don't see anybody complaining about that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, you know, nobody was bitching when uh, Jeff Mills sampled Michael Jackson. They're like, yeah, but that was a different style. Oh, it's different. Michael it's Jackson real. is Michael Jackson's really famous, and he doesn't need help from us. You know, yeah. For- so, I mean, I, I think everybody has y- used sampling to some extent, whether it's very little or a lot. Um, but the fact is, is there's a lot of producers out there who generally do make a lot of their own music and own ideas, yet they still rely heavily on sample packs. Um, yeah. I can't really talk shit about that because I've made a lot of money releasing sample packs, so that would be pretty <laughs> hypocritical of me. But, I mean, creativity, at least as far as dance music goes, in my opinion, was never really at an all-time high. Of course, there's some amazing tracks out there, and I've more or less dedicated my life to it, but I'm not really looking for a judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to dance music. I'm sorry. Well, and I I don't know. I don't really know what the difference is. They're like, oh, they just use a sample pack. What I don't really know what the difference is between using a, a sample pack um, than using a TR909 that you spent 3,000 euro on, sure. on eBay. And... The, you can hear, I hear the TR-909, and maybe I even know the producer, and I know that it's actually a TR-909 in their studio, but that makes no difference to me. It's I know it's a TR-909, and if, if you want to criticize the lack of creativity in using a sample pack, then let's, cre- then let's have the same standard when somebody uses some fancy vintage piece of gear, and you say... Yeah, that's that's an ARP or that's a TR nine oh nine or uh it's it's a very classic synth that has a very characteristic sound. What is the difference between owning that and having samples of that and yeah. using the I mean I don't care either way, like a good track's a good track no matter where You do care. You want people to buy the sample packs. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yes. But it is funny because like I get it with like hi hats and some weird like uh, company and rhythm sections. It makes sense to just drop that in quickly as opposed to tapping it out. I'm still an idiot and I still write everything out. But um, I get that point of it would be interesting. But it like for example, in, in last fall, I think I received probably four or five promos where it uses this vocal that says black light on it. And yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, which sample pack just came out that everybody is using that sample? Granted, I have to say, 
I think every single one of those tracks that has that sample in it was actually pretty good. But I'm like, well, I can play one of these. Uh, I can't play all four of them. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but I mean, think about uh, think about, for example, the name Kyle. When when my parents named me Kyle, they thought they were being really unique and said, oh, no one no one's using this name. But the problem was, is about. 10,000 other parents thought the exact same thing that my parents thought, and they used the same name. And now, I mean, and so when all this music, in the same way, when all the music is released, when they made the music, no, they had never heard that, but the the sample pack or whatever, I, I would assume it's a sample pack, um, came out then and then that the release comes out it's kind of too late yeah, yeah now now i f- i think that a lot of people would feel a little bit silly if they used that black light sample but at the i think it was uh who was it uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of people that used that sample mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that's and that's one of the risks that's the only thing that kind of discourages me from it's not this ethical code or anything. It's just that, you know, if, if you use uh, a preset on a synth, especially the arpeggiated presets, you're, you have to be okay with that, that coming out later. Sure. Um, because it's, it's not the producer's job to go and listen to every record and make sure that no one else has used this before. It just, when you use a preset uh, and don't, and, leave it untouched maybe that sound is the best sound for that track maybe the preset is a better sound than you could make and maybe that's not a jab on your skill level or anything like this maybe it just was the right sound for the right moment um but you do kind of sign you do kind of give away any kind of um ability to criticize when somebody else takes that from you because it, how many people have, I, I've heard, I actually heard there was a part of me that died when I was messing around in the studio and I just got a few new plugins and I was going through the presets just to kind of see what Get it sounded it. like. Yeah. And one of my all time favorite tracks, I won't, I'm not going to name the track because I, I don't want to remove the magic from everybody else's life. Cause it's a great track. And then I heard this, and basically, if you just hold this, the middle C note mm-hmm. on a keyboard, the arpeggiation pattern within about 10 or 15%, and the sound is there, and you say, wow. But at the same time, that it was a really great track, and it doesn't remove that it's a really great track. A good track's a good track, like I said. That's yeah. right. I think Johnny Cash said that, too. Mm. Let's talk shit about promos. Oh, you know, man, we brought up promos earlier and I got a couple of things on my mind. This is a funny thing. Okay. I, I understand. I am, I have come to, I, I have made peace with the idea of people having a hired hand, these celebrity DJs and, and very, very busy DJs hiring somebody to kind of create a filtration system for their promos. And, and I, mm-hmm. I thought about this and I thought, you know, it, it, it's, I would rather a big name DJ 
hire somebody to filter through their promos and at least get them down to within like this 20% range. Okay. Here are the things that you would possibly like, um, versus them saying, I, I don't, I just, I'm too busy. I don't listen to promos, you know? And there's, there's a part of me that's also like, you know, if you're not doing the discovering of music yourself, what are you really doing as a DJ? You know, and, and, yeah. um, but what, what's really funny, the, the whole promo system's kind of silly. You know, they, they say, I used to always laugh on label works. They say, are you supporting it? And originally I would think, well, I'm downloading it. Couldn't that be implied as me supporting it? Oh no. Now you'll have these, uh, I think you called them rave monkeys one time. I uh, did? Yeah. <laughs> um, the people who are downloading the music for these imaginary people who are downloading the music for the big DJs. Um, but the... I just totally lost my train of thought. Well, have a shot quick and then no. we can uh, you can get back on it. Oh, they download the music for their for their boss man. And then they, they download it, and then they say, I'm not supporting it. So they give it the thumbs down, but then they download the music. And I, I do think, yeah, I feel like anything should come at a price. You know, if you, if you want to download the music, the music's being promoted so that you can use that material for promotion. Um, do you force the feedback, blah, blah, blah? I, to be honest, I don't know how valuable promotion promos are anymore. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I don't necessarily know that it will greatly help your release, but I know it'll definitely hurt it if if it's not being heard. So it's kind of a necessary evil. It's like having a business card. You don't know if it'll do much good, but it's nice to have. And it's that's why during my DJ sets, I always throw out about a thousand business cards into the crowd when I'm playing. I, I ask them if they have a confetti machine, I ask them to insert my business cards into the confetti oh, there you go. machine. Make and it rain. It, make it rain. KG business cards. You got one for me? Nope. All righty. So, but the thing is, is it's like, um, you know, with, when you, when it comes down, you you know, especially on the festival circuit, you got a lot of guys that, truthfully, they're they're doing fifteen gigs a month and they're mostly relying on the promos that come in. And honestly, they are on some of the best promo lists you could possibly be on, so they get the greatest shit anyway. But they're still not doing a whole lot of research. And then there's these this like uh, separate. I don't want to say caliber or tier because then that justifies whether they're better or worse than these DJs, but it's just this different world of DJs that, uh, you know, are referred to in the industry as like selectors. Like these are the people that really, uh, have this like credibility to them, whether they're doing one gig a month or 10 gigs a month. And it's like, those are the people that, um, they don't rely solely on their promo list. They're the ones that are still digging, um, you know, a few times a week or whatever it is like they're, they're digging deeper than just through their email box, you know? Yeah. And 
I mean, uh, hey, here's a funny thing. Uh, there was uh, years ago, there was this feud and this DJ basically said, you know, to all the real DJ, he like basically put an, another DJ on blast, which I just always think is poor form, more or less. Bad form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about the people that you really like what they're doing and there's no reason to criticize the... It never it never feels good whenever somebody says negative things to you and if you if you have to say negative things about somebody you have everybody's email nobody's email is secret everybody has a way of getting a hold of them why why not at least try if if there's really an issue at least try to write that person and say hey I'm not I'm not cool with this I think that what you're doing is blah 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 and then 95% of the things that you have issue with go away because you say, well, I don't want to actually approach this person about this problem. Mm-hmm. It's not that important. I d- I'm just okay with posting it on Facebook. But this DJ had said something, uh, really called out this other DJ. And then at the end, like kind of gave these shout outs to like to all the DJs that are still really digging and really uh, searching week to week. Yeah. And and uh, this DJ has now graduated into the league of um, of having somebody else download the of course the promo. So funny how that works. But but I just yeah I mean, I'm I'm not I don't really give a shit if people uh, filter the promos or not. I just think that if you're going to dedicate your life to being a great DJ, then part of it is putting in the effort to dig even deeper than the mailbox that's all yeah and i I mean well maybe this brings up another topic are djs hey i've never been asked to play 20 gigs a month so so let's use this as the qualify or the 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 understanding that kind of presides over this discussion um so I don't know what I would I would do if I was offered 20 gigs a month and then had this amount of money for your retirement or future or whatever presented to me. But at what point do you say, I'm just simply playing too many gigs? I'm playing too many gigs to maintain the expectations as a DJ that I – or the, the quality that I want to have because – no matter what, no matter how invincible you feel, there is you do reach a, a diminishing returns on the the your third gig in a weekend is not going to be as good as your first, or you know. Well, two of them aren't. Arguably, yeah. it's they're not going to be. There's always going to be one that's the best or whatever, but but I do think that fatigue plays a negative role. Mm-hmm. In in your ability to to DJ and perform, oh, um, big time, yeah. So, so the the question is is if your job as a DJ is to really search for music and uh, find the best promos, go to the record stores or go to online and find the best stuff for purchase, blah blah blah, and then kind of find music that really constructs a unique story and keeps it fresh every time you don't need, I mean, to be fair to these DJs, if you're playing in three different countries in one weekend, there's, there's not really other than keeping yourself interested. There's not really, nobody's going to be at all three of those same sure, parties. You could do the same set and no one would know roughly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think that that's fine. But I think that at some point, I'll go back to another football analogy, like when the, you have teams that are playing in their regular league, they're playing in uh, on their international team, and then they're playing in Champions League. That's uh, you have the potential to play two games a week, mm-hmm. and and for these players at that level of physicality and all of this, your body just starts breaking down. And so even a Lionel Messi gets rested on some games that you say I, I'd rather. I'd rather be fit for the upcoming Champions League match than to play yeah. on this on this game. I want to play all the time, but I can't. And at what point does a DJ say logistically it's possible, but physically it's it's really not. I think that would take a lot of restraint to do something like that. I'll come back on this podcast whenever I get asked to play 20 gigs a month um, for 10,000 euro each. And then I'll have we'll, a more, we'll I'll this, have a more we'll definitive answer. We'll do this podcast answer. from the beach is what we'll be doing it from if, if, if that's the – Yeah, that. but it's got to be a video podcast at that point. Well, this yeah, isn't very, because we're going to be doing EDM money at that point. This isn't very scenic at this point. It is nothing. I mean, this is as scenic – as Kreuzberg gets, I think. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Claire Danes lived next to you for a while. Yeah, she did. Yeah. I heard she picked the apartment based on where Zahn lived. Uh, you've heard correctly. You know, a lot of people thought it was a rumor, but it's actually true. Um, funnily enough, she would run by my house twice every day in the yoga Stalker. pants. Stalker. Listen, man. I'm not... Enough's you know, enough. It is. I mean, at some point you have to say, because the police are little a little busy in Kreuzberg, um, and they're a little slow to respond. But at some point, you have to shout out the window and say, Claire, just stop. Like, go home. Yeah. Just go home. It's been a good run. Your show's about canceled. Just, just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> She did go home, didn't she? I haven't seen her. She was on that Ellen show. And that's the last we'll ever see of her, I think. Yeah. Especially in Berlin. She made like 800 people mad with that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How dare she say that? Career suicide, Claire Danes. Oh, it's over for her. Yeah. She really blew it on that one. So. She'll never get to go to a techno club again. Oh, no. (laughs) She is out. Out, Claire Danes. <laughs> but uh, so, so what are we talking about next? You're the one that said you had all kinds of shit to talk about. <sighs> Let it be said that we're 45 minutes into the third hour of our set. <laughs> so at some point, the great I mean, we're going to cut some shit the, out. But. The great thing about podcasts is, is you don't, it's not like radio waves where you know really where the person tuned out. All you know is that how many people tuned in at some point. Yeah. And so we could just keep talking to hear ourselves talk. I'd be surprised if anybody's still listening right now. <laughs> Please leave a comment on the SoundCloud page if you're still listening. We, yeah. we Let us re- know you're still here. We highly doubt uh, that it's gotten this far. 
Yeah, we just want to say if you're driving, uh, be safe out there. <laughs> if you're on the train, uh, just keep your stuff tight. Keep your phone in your pocket. We don't want you to get stolen today. What uh, What was that movie where there were the commentators? I think it was Major League. Do you remember this movie? Yeah, it was Charlie Sheen. I, I heard someone told me that movie didn't age well. and Of course it didn't age well. It didn't age well when it first came out. What? I mean, I watched it. So funny. So I was at the movies last night. I saw The Revenant. The Revenant. Have you heard about this? It's got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in it. DiCaprio? Whatever his fucking name is. (laughs) DiCaprio. So (laughs) DiCaprio. Whatever the fuck. Leo. So uh, basically, and I can say this because it's the plot of the movie. it's back in the days of cowboys and Indians, more or less, and Leo gets mauled by a bear on a uh, hunting expedition. And long story short, his crew kind of leaves him for dead, and uh, he's not happy about it. And he's such a diva. Yeah, he decides that he's going to literally crawl his mauled ass back to civilization and enact revenge. And so I'm sitting there for two and a half hours watching this movie. Um I'll say, first of all, I thought it was really entertaining. The photography was amazing. but And at one point, especially because I grew up in the era when Leo was like the teen heartthrob, I would have killed to see Leo get mauled by a bear on the big screen because I was so sick of hearing girls talk about this guy. But at this point, I just kind of felt bad for him in the movie. And for two and a half hours, I was basically just like, Die already. Just die. Go to sleep. It's over. You know? And he would just get back up and keep doing his thing. And I don't really know where I'm going with that, but it was kind of... I just wondered what the hell I was watching for three hours last night. Well, these actors are expensive. You can't, like... You've got to make the movies longer now. They're charging way too much for two hours of work. Because that's all they're doing. It's just they film in one shot two hours of work, and they're getting paid $30 million dollars. It's like there's a, there's a famous uh, German footballer uh, here named Lothar Mateus. And a friend of mine, he used to work for this company. And the, uh, it was the company that sponsored or gave it, had an endorsement deal with Lothar Mateus. And they, they had this, uh, my friend, follow him. There was one day a year in his contract that he had to sign autographs. And they made, they really milked it. They were one like, day, huh? One day a year that he had to come and sign autographs. And from eight to five in his contract, book signings or ball signings or whatever. And they said, like, hey, man, you're in charge of this. You make sure that this guy signs. We pay this guy really good money. You make sure that he signs He signs as many autographs as possible. And they, people, all the people from the company would be giving photos and blah, blah, blah. And my friend was in, responsible for making sure that every piece and every document got signed. And I think the guy hated my friend uh, by the end of the day. But I would feel the same way with Leo DiCaprio. How do you how do you say his name? I honestly don't fucking know. Let's call him Leo. 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 It's kind of like uh, that when there's. I always call him Basketball Diaries, but that's just me. I just remember at the the beginning of that movie where he just yells to a lady to shut up, and I don't remember anything else of that movie, but I heard it was really sad. Titanic, maybe. Yeah, it could have been that one, but yeah. Anyway.
It's half past the hour. Forty-five degrees outside. Anybody still out there? Are you listening? Are you listening? You tuned in, train wrecks. <laughs> you know, let's talk about let's talk about great producers who have been forced out by the if you want a career you have to perform you have to dj i mean uh i think his name was nils but hard sell i i really miss his product and he had kind of he was an attorney and he was a pilot and he did um he had his hands in all kinds of things so it it might have just gotten a little bit boring to him um, or whatever. But to me, his music never got boring. And even he's one of those producers where occasionally he'll release a new, a new EP and somehow it's still pretty modern for that time. Uh, A lot of times the, the person that takes like a five year hiatus and then they come back there's kind of this gap where you say, "Oh, okay, they're getting back into it. Let's give them a few more, a few more EPs to clear their throats." And but with Hard Cell, I always thought that his music was super current and super relevant. Whenever I think, you know, Hard Cell is one of my all-time favorite um, kind of Swedish techno producers. You know, uh, he kind of came up in that wave after Adam Bayer and Joel Mull and Carey and Jesper and all that. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm such a fan of that stuff. And granted, a lot of it's a little bit faster, so it's not as easy to play it to this day. But man, if if you're into like more of the tribal thing, like the old Oliver Ho meta kind of stuff, check out his releases on Skunkworks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, once he started doing things more on drum code and CLR, it became a bit more straightforward big room. But prior to that, it was like this. Uh, offbeat broken beat kind of stuff very conga driven but very hypnotic um you know a lot of uh i see kind of techno going back in that direction again but so many people skip over his discography and uh it's it's ridiculously good i could say the same about henrik b he doesn't do uh he does more like like the word commercial is a well, funny but, but term. I meant back back but, when he was doing techno. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was more like analog, almost psytrance driven arpeggiated bass lines and stuff. Yeah. But he's another guy where it's like there's a lot of cool hypno tracks from him that would fit into what people are playing today in their sets and they just largely overlook it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. big fan. Isn't it funny that, that we used to say the like Nirvana held number one positions on the the biggest chart for pop music, like Billboard. They were in the Billboard, uh, I think, number one slot and uh, had number one album sales. Blah blah blah. And we called that alternative music. How snobby have we gotten that we now call a label or uh, an EP that sells maybe two thousand copies? That's commercial massive, by the way yeah dude that is commercial that is commercial and you say is it really commercial if it's only sold 2000 copies we need to come up with a new term for commercial house music because that just it's not being that honest well yeah i mean the thing is is i've noticed i think it's always been an issue in uh well i mean with the world in general not solely related to music but in our little demographic of the music industry, 
it became a lot more prominent around 2003 or four. All the labels went to shit. Not like as in like record labels, but like the names to in which things are referred to as. Like when minimal popped up, some of it was minimal. The rest of it was basically this weird maximal jarbled garbage. And then on the other side of the fence, pre EDM, you had Electro House, which was neither Electro nor House. Um, but everybody referred to it as that. And since then, like about 10 years ago, everything has had this name applied to it that has like maybe 10% to do with what it actually describes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of the people these days. They'll come up to me and they'll say, like, uh, you know, if you're into house music, they'll be like, oh, this is, I mean, yeah, it's defected. The record label is probably as commercial as it can come for house music, I think, you know. But at the same time, it's still not even close to anything pop music related. You know what I mean? Like it's still so niche. So I think to say that it's commercial is kind of ridiculous. You could say that it's more accessible, I guess is a good way to put it. Cause that's it's not necessarily better, rude. That's a better accessible term. means like it's, it's easily palatable by a wide variety of people. It doesn't mean that because it's, uh, you know, enjoyed by a variety of people that it makes it bad. I mean, there's, you know, pizza is enjoyed by, the most foodie snobs out there and then the people that have zero taste in food but it's like a common food that everybody enjoys you know what i mean like what's your me, favorite oven pizza margarita oh like oh, you mean dude, frozen come pizzas on, man. Uh, yeah yeah frozen pizza frozen pizza well the thing about From back like, in the day the, yeah the thing about living in berlin is they're not up on the frozen pizza tip oh man no it's struggles. pretty shit oh. uh in the states I'm a Jack's kind of guy. Everybody goes Tombstones, but I love Jack's. It has that cardboard taste that just hits the spot. And then uh, if you want to go Rising Crust, you have to go DiGiorno. I mean. But what about Totino's party pizzas? I Come on, man. Don't, but don't, don't be so highbrow. You're like, oh, I don't. I no, but don't they do the pizza rolls, don't 99, they? 99. I don't eat these 99 cent rat class oven Well, no, pizzas. here's the thing. I, I, I was, what do we call them? Frozen pizzas. Frozen pizzas. I, I lived... Uh, in a city a where our school system served us Red Baron pizza um, two or three times a week. So the 99-cent pizzas I just can't do anymore. But I will say, does Totino's do pizza rolls? Because those are fucking kick-ass. They do the three-meat pizza, and I don't look much further than that. Why um, should you? Yeah. the <laughs> Totino's was, I mean, 99 cents for... 7,000 calories, that's a steal. Arguably, yeah, depending yeah. on what the calories come from. Well, they're not good calories, but they're calories nonetheless. If you were out in the wilderness and you had you had three bucks, you would be best off buying three Totino's party pizzas, three meat. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Why are they called frozen pizzas, by the way? It's the weird, like, you don't call it a raw... Because they come in a freezer? Yeah, they come in a freezer, but hamburger meat is raw hamburger before you cook it. Why are we talking about the pre-cooked state? That's not really a good marketing Because there's either the pizzas that come in the oven, or I mean, like, in the freezer and go to your oven, or there's the pizzas where you go to this place and there's a punk rocker working there and you pay money for him to be a giant dick to you and screw up your order and then you get it and you're like oh this is amazing and that's the two kinds of pizzas there are 
You got to have a sailor tattoo if you're working on one exactly. of those joints. Yeah. Yeah. Totino's for me. But anyways, what were we talking about? I don't know. Okay. Let's see. Pizzas before that. Is anybody still out there, by the way? Yeah. We're just checking in on you. Follow, follow us on Twitter at... Let's let's read. You know when you go and like uh, you watch these uh, news stations and they've resorted to random comments on Twitter. That's when you know you're really stretching. Let's see. Let's see what our analysts on the Twitter comment section have to say about. Actually, this. I did ask questions, or I asked people if they had any questions. Did you get any? That's always a risky thing. Anytime I, yeah, I like the, to, I like interacting with people on like the Facebook. On, on the Facebook, I sound dumb. like an old lady. This is a dumb one, but it's uh, it's legitimate. Why don't you get mouse flavored cat food? Because cats have already been given more than they deserve in this society, and I don't want to feed that monster. That is a great answer. I'm going to leave so. it at that. Here's a legitimate question, though, that I created in my head. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that are always asking me all the time, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Like, they've made the tracks, and they don't know. You know, it's like if you try to start a label and you've never ran a label before or been part of one, you are probably going to do a great job at screwing it up. Yeah, and I then mine up. the um the other part of it is is your your other option is the classic one let's uh let's do a big record on a big label which is far easier said than done so for a newer producer these days you know they often ask me what should i do and i don't really have that great of an answer um for them i used to be able to give them an answer but now i don't know so much I think it's. I think what you need to do changes so quickly. Uh, it changes so quickly. What when you or me got into this whole shebang, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, when you and I got into it, it really was. If if you released a record on a big label. You could kind of sit back and wait for the emails to start coming in on MySpace yeah. for booking requests. And now I feel like there are people who have released more records on what would be big labels than I have that are still sitting at home um, and not really playing gigs. And so there, it, that would indicate to me that it's it's changed a lot. Um, it used to be podcasts. Podcasts kind of started taking precedence over big releases. Now podcasts are kind of they're a dime a dozen. Yeah, but it's still people still want to hear them. I mean, I remember like when Chris Liebing started his podcast. That was a big deal to be on that. It's and, Monday. Uh, it is Monday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, like. Uh, I started doing his podcast right in the beginning because I was I was never really part of CLR, but I was running around with that crew a bit. And um, in the end, over the years, I think I did five or six of them. There was only, you know, aside from the actual CLR artists, I think I maybe had the most 
of any guest on there. And I have to say, like, doing that podcast and maybe one record a year gave me bookings for the entire year. Unfortunately, there isn't anything like that that I'm aware of right now that will um, give you this kind of, like, guaranteed uh, foot in the door. Not I, wanna, I don't want to say success, but, like, opportunity to play more or get bigger releases or get your name out. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting time at the moment. I think it I think it also involves putting yourself out there. I don't it's always there again it's it's the whole like the DJ that uh is seems so on the other end of being enthusiastic that it's you're like you don't even like what you're doing. Like I think sometimes take a guy like me for example probably a good amount of people who are techno DJs know my name and a growing number of people that are techno fans know my name from different gigs that I played. Um, but I'm still not the name that is on the tip of people's tongues. Yeah. You know, like I am not the person that's just being, when you talk techno, the, I'm not the name that's being come up. So that would say that if I sit back and just wait for gigs, to, gig requests to come in, might get kind of lonely, you yeah. know? And, and I, I mean, there's a balance too, right? You, you don't want to like hassle people, but at the same time, you have to kind of remind people that you still, still exist yeah you know totally. and uh i i think that that is kind of it's kind of been preached like don't keep your cool don't don't harass people don't annoy people but if at the same time if you if you don't put yourself out there then a lot of people are just simply forgetting about you yeah funny story i hadn't been booked at Bergheim for three years. And this was when um, the old booker was there. And I was friends with him, but I had written an email reluctantly asking for guest list. Yeah. Um, and, you, you, oh, you know, it's uh, you don't want to upset yeah. people or whatever. And, and you, you want to not ask for favors or whatever. But... I wanted to go that weekend. And yeah, so of I course. asked and he wrote back and said, yeah, of course. And then he wrote back five minutes later and said, by the way, what are you doing on, I think it was what August 9th. Yeah. And I said, what do you need me to be doing? You know, and, and do you, you need me to work at the bar. Yeah. Or? I mean, if, if I, yeah, like and, I can clean I, the toilets. No. Yeah. I think that there's, there is like a little bit of, if it's music that you really love, like why not put yourself out there? Yeah. Why not uh, say, I mean, it was different. Also, I have to say that I had like an existing relationship with the, of course, the with booker. The guy, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like just cold calling on people. I don't know how effective it is, but, but there's, there's, everybody's got people within the, the scene that, they know and they've become friends with and i mean ask people if if you can 
do a record for their label. Ask people if you can play an opening slot at a at a club because I think it's become so people have become so afraid of looking like the the desperate person that they forget to communicate that they're excited about what they do. Sure. You know? Well, and there's also the aspect uh I don't know if it translates in other languages, but in English it's out of sight, out of mind. And hey, man, everybody's human. You know, this same person in question, I was having dinner with him one night and I was talking about another techno act. And I said, oh, yeah, I just had dinner with him the other night. He's in town visiting. He goes, oh, man, I haven't thought of that in a while. That'd be a great idea to book him. Like, can you put me in contact? And that wasn't even like, oh, man, you need to book him, blah, blah, blah. He's just like, his name totally escaped my mind. You know what I mean? And that that happens to the best of us. Um and I think that's something that applies to everything in life, not just trying to get techno bookings. You know, like uh, when it comes down to it, you don't get what you don't ask for. The worst you can hear of is no. You know what I mean? But if you don't ask for something, you don't know if you'll ever get it. And sometimes that's all you got to do is ask. And the, and there is a there's a definite difference the between asking and asking ten times. Big time. You know? Yeah. And I I think that people sometimes identify those as uh, like on the same level. And like if somebody is going to get upset with me for asking to play at at a club or to play to release on a label or whatever, all they all I'm doing is asking a question. Yeah. I mean you 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 can choose whatever answer you want to. I I I mean techno's party music, you know? Like there's there's a lot of this uh we're not the most well-behaved crowd on the planet. Yeah, and then yeah, you have like, this, this like this isn't politics, this isn't religion. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's kind yeah. of it's it's uh the prisoners are running the prison. You know yes. what I'm saying? Should I tuck in my shirt before I ask for this gig or should I put on a tie? I just don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I think people just need to relax a little bit more and not uh but it is tough. I mean, you're you're also uh, we live in Berlin and there are a lot of really really talented people that are all kind of going for the same targets you know Mm -hmm. and it can be it can create this kind of like childlike insecurity in you where you're like oh you know they i haven't yeah i'm not playing at this club too often or i'm not uh i'm not traveling as much as my friends are and so yeah i mean here's the crazy thing i don't know if you're aware of this and i don't know if the rest of the world is aware of this there's actually an entire planet outside of Berlin that has places that play techno music. Yeah, that are actually a lot of fun to play at. Quite good. And I would I let's talk about this. If you took there there are so many clubs in Berlin. I, I went to see a friend play at a club. I wanna say it's called R19 or something. Never heard of it, but doesn't surprise Never, me. It, neither did I. And it's on Revela Strasse. And it is a... Uh, it's it's another club in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the these guys are from Berlin. 
and they came up to me after they're like, yeah, it wasn't like, it's not really a cool blah, 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 blah. Like, and you're like, you know what? And if you compare it to Berlin, maybe it isn't. But if you picked up almost any club in Berlin and moved it to some other city in the oh, world. Oh, it would be a godsend. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you you it's easy to lose sight of of these things and it's also easy for people to fall in love with a club more than the music. And and I think that it's very important to keep in perspective that that the music is really what drives these things. True. Uh, and and the, the the club can provide the perfect atmosphere for the for the music to be experienced. Um and they can really break the atmosphere for the music yeah, to be of experienced. Course. But it, but when the day is done, like you have to always ask yourself, like, if this club or this club or this club ceases to exist, will I still love techno? And I think that that's uh there that would indicate that there's there's value and virtue in venturing outside of your favorite place and experiencing techno because it is like a 360 degree experience like the lighting is super important the sound super important the crowd super important um like you can go see an elton john concert just about anywhere and kind of get within 10 percent of okay he does like the small venues so maybe he'll have a different lighting rig or whatever but sure. it's going to be the same set list and same thing and the, there's such so much more things interacting and uh so many more variables in techno parties than like a traditional concert that it's kind of cool to see a change of space and a change of scenery and the tracks that a dj would play in one club are very different than the tracks that that same dj would play in another club even in the same city so yeah i mean i think honestly a lot of the clubs here in town are widely different you know um you know it, it's funny because like any city it's not just berlin but a lot of cities have politics when it comes to venues where you can play or can't play for uh you know on any side of the date you're playing and when it when i look at it it's like every club has a different clientele it has a different vibe you know like there should be no reason that stops you from playing at one club on friday night and the next club on saturday night because honestly um both clubs are going to be full anyways and you know you're a good DJ, so why? You know what I mean, like. But eh, I get it. That's why they do it. It's just, it's ridiculous, and it, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always, and we also forget like most clubs that have been running for a long time have at one point when at one point in their life cycle, and every club has a life cycle. Don't forget that. Um, at one point in that club's life cycle, it was kind of king of the jungle. And I, I, I think people oftentimes, they, they forget that clubs still have to protect their interests. Um, like even the best clubs in the world are probably not as far from ceasing to exist than we think or as we think they are like we we look at a lot of these clubs as invincible people looked at um 
a place like the first location of Trezor as kind of this. I remember I had this uh, JPEG that I downloaded for my desktop, and it said uh, Trezor never dies or never uh, some, yeah, something something like, like this. And and like there's just all these different things that are very very fragile, and um, that was uh, something beyond their control. But you just never know like when a club is going to cease to exist when they say, okay, we're going to turn this into a shopping mall or we're going to turn this into whatever, um, or we're going to double your rent overnight. And so these club owners that basically that's their, their sole investment in life, they, they have to look out for their best interest. And I, I, I don't really blame them, um, for putting, doing what, behaving, acting in, in their best interest and maybe putting constraints on DJs who would, they would like to have play there. Fair enough. You know, I, I it, and, and ultimately the DJ can choose whether they want to play by those rules or not. Well, if they're lucky enough. Ultimately, they just hope they can play one of these places to begin with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, okay, one question that I want to ask you. uh, As a DJ, because there are, I think there's probably eight or ten people that listen to this show now, um, (laughs) and I'm hoping one or two of them is a promoter, uh, for someone that, let's say, hasn't booked you yet or hasn't booked you in years, you know, what like what would explain you like when you're going out to play what kind of vibe are you going for like musically speaking what could people expect and like what you know what what are you trying to bring to the table like what should people know or like that you would hope they know so you know what i mean cuz like sometimes i show up at gigs and they expect me to play something entirely different than i'm known for and let's clear let's clear the slate so to speak so like for you what are you what are you looking at like what's your what's the Kyle Geiger experience yeah you you you're baiting me to say all the DJ cliches on uh, like well it's really unique and no, it no, really no. depends on the but, no but I mean know. like what what are you into are you going for like a, a deep vibe a party vibe or right now are you just in the mood to bang it like it doesn't have to get so specific but I mean yeah, I mean this is this is the beauty of playing at different places and playing at different venues and and uh sometimes I mean you can't there are it's funny we we have uh we use the term at DJs they say, "Oh, this was a well-educated crowd." And it's like you don't know if they're really well educated. You just know if they dance to your music or not. So we're basically saying if they you can they, assume, but yeah. you don't know. Well, if they liked my music, they're a, they're clearly a smart bunch of people, you know. But I I think that you have people that are coming from different backgrounds musically, um, and that kind of can dictate what you play, how you play. Um, set times like how long you play a lot of places berlin it's kind of like three hours has kind of become the standard isn't it yeah but uh the other clubs two hours even sometimes like an hour and a half 
And so the the way that you play an hour and a half time slot is completely different than the way that you would play of a three course, hours yeah. or a six hour time slot. Um, my sole job is to present people with music that I believe in, in a way that they enjoy. So there's, there's like this education and entertainment balance that you have where you're finding all the stuff. And it's kind of like when you, I worked at a record store and it was always fun to find some, a customer that really likes something. And you're like, ah, if you like this, man, wait till you hear this next record, you know? And, and so there is like a, there it's the, that's how DJing is to me. Like, oh, you know, like you, you really liked this track. I, I've got something that maybe is a little bit more obscure that you, that you're going to like too, you know? And for the underground crowd, the really like hard wax type mm-hmm. people, like you have to keep in mind that everybody exists in their own little bubbles. Sure. And so you could, you could play something that is really popular within that crowd. And you could say, Hey, if you like this, like there's this Gary Beck track from years ago that, if you announced who was playing, maybe it would be like a little too obvious or, room, or whatever yeah. big room, but then you play it and uh, it has the same impact with, sure. with like the super underground people, like bringing them a little bit out of the underground and playing maybe some stuff that you found on Beatport on, on the front page of Beatport or whatever. Like I don't, I don't want, to have these rules that get in the way of my job as as a DJ. So, sure. How was that for vague? Pretty fucking vague. Cool. Awesome. But so while we're on the topic of DJing and maybe a little bit about tracks or arguably promos, let's do our do- own top 100 list right now. No. We're going to need to drink more vodka if we're going to do that. But um, you're talking about CDJs and playing on those. How do you feel about vinyl-only releases? Yeah, I mean, every every label has their own vision of how they want to present their craft. Um, for me, I think that you... I understand the the making stuff inaccessible by design. Um and I also understand keeping keeping the vinyl culture alive because there is something even though I'm not playing vinyl anymore. Um there there is something romantic about going into a record store and and that whole culture of like I said like people you 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 like this record and somebody gives you like a human response and said if you like this record try these three i just got these in today so in that regard i understand why labels are still making great sacrifices to still produce vinyl or make yeah. have vinyl stuff printed um with the vinyl only thing you you do run the risk of really limiting your your crowd you know like the we again living in a bubble like yeah. berlin is is a, a techno bubble and people forget i grew up in indiana you grew up in wisconsin 
we didn't have a record store down the street. You really had to search for stuff. And like you would make huge concessions to get a hold of the music, like to get music even in the neighborhood of stuff that you liked. And so imagine now you have these, the opportunity to access all this music and you could really expose people to music that you believe is worthy of being pressed to vinyl. Like I, I don't see any, any virtue in not allowing somebody to experience your music because of their geographic location or their economic disposition, you know? Like, sure, of course. So I, I wouldn't do do vinyl only partly because I think I, I wouldn't sell them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I, I don't, I, I understand the upside to it and the negative side. Um, for me personally, I just dislike the fact that uh, a lot of the stuff that I prefer to play unfortunately is coming out as vinyl only and i say unfortunately because you know it's kind of gone back to this point where a lot of these records are stuff that i will play for let's say six weeks and then maybe never touch again whereas right even though i'm buying records all the time i'm trying to buy records that are records i can pull out off the shelf in five years and still be like oh man this is a great record and you can't really do that when it's just this, you know, two cool drum tracks that are disposable. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, I don't know. I There's a lot of those records I'm buying right now that really I'd rather just buy the MP3 and save eight euros per record. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I think that the the vinyl-only thing, yeah think that i forgot what i was gonna say but well you have to carry it that's what you were gonna say well yeah that's <laughs> no 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 no, no but 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 on that in that vein is you let's let's have a really honest take on what a vinyl only label means it means you are pressing 300 copies 400 copies of a vinyl record Yes. You are selling the the vast majority of it is being sold in Germany, um maybe the Netherlands and and mostly within yep. Europe. Um but then you look at the people who are going to the record stores, they're buying these records, they're going home, they're immediately putting the record on and ripping it to their computer. And then they're going and they're having to even maybe do some like touch up mastering stuff because you've taken the vinyl and you've put it on to the digital format and now it's a little bit quieter I know, than the all too well, yeah. Yeah, and so you have these people that the people that are supporting this vinyl only industry um or and making it possible are ultimately when the day is done digitizing it. What I did like is like you have a guy like uh, Levon Vincent who he did uh, it, his label for for the most part it, you could consider it a, a vinyl only release, but he releases the the files for free yeah. to to people. I would have no problem paying for the files, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's even cooler that he released it 
for for free i mean it it, it was fitting that it was called anti-corporate music or something sure. uh, you know you can't you can't sell too much of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> great album though yeah it's good um but i mean i guess at the same time when when you're charging 45 euros for an album you can kind of bypass digital sales too and and uh, he's got this like magic in the within the his sound is perfect for the that demographic that's a thing well that's the other that's the other part i'm seeing pop up lately in labels whether it's vinyl only or going back to vinyl you got a lot of these guys that are um it's common re- commonly referred to as like let's say in the beatport sound like this kind of big room white noise kind of wind up techno shit these guys are now trying to make this like loopy uh dubby kind of chunky techno stuff and put it on vinyl and make it vinyl only and you know with hopes of cashing in on that or playing in, in berlin again or something and it's just like listen man i'm sorry this this doesn't cut it you know what i mean like you yeah, can tell when someone yeah, you know you can tell when someone's heart in it is in it and then you can tell when someone is trying to like catch up to that ship that already took off like you said you know what i mean and it's definitely the latter because if their heart was in it, they would have been doing that shit years ago. And I think, I think for uh, one of the things I wish that I would have considered or someone would have ran by me before I started my own label, I started and I, I did vinyl and not only did I do vinyl, I had jackets shipped to my uh, house in Indiana and I did like a, I, I did a little – I spray-painted the catalog number on each of them. Yeah. So if, if you have any of the first three, <laughs> it only lasted the three records before I moved to Europe and decided that this was quite an invo- – I couldn't have brought the, the thing. Yeah. yeah. But So if you have one of those records, I spray-painted those by hand um, in my front yard. And sometimes there would be like a little ant that would get on in the record statement. I'm like, this ant might be in – Japan yeah <laughs> like a jet setting ant you know but um you spread it some sort of disease and yeah unknowingly. and sometimes I, I was doing uh, the first release and it was sweltering heat it was super super hot and I, I had sweat coming off of my forehead so there might even be like water marks on some of these part of your uh, DNA is in the record yes 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 so it, it, you might not like the record itself but hey at least it's got a cool story behind it what I wish I would have been told when I started my my label was, okay, there there is financial. You're gonna need financial and and economic or financial energy to move a label of forward. Course. You're gonna have to do promotional. You're gonna have promotional costs. You're gonna have um, vinyl production costs if you don't have like a P and D deal. Um, you're gonna do like if you want to do stickers or blah blah blah. And but that's that's kind of the obvious stuff because you can price that out. Um, what you can't price out is the um, the kind of uh, emotional energy. Not like it's like an emotional process, but just like how much uh, energy the patience involved. Yeah, and yeah. The, it's like it can knock a lot of wind out of your sails. The and ability it can, to remain positive. Yeah, it can. It can. It can distract you from 
the the purpose as to why you started a label and you should really consider this like all the stuff that is you're gonna deal with you're gonna have to talk to the people the pressing plants that screwed up your record at least once um you're you're gonna have to deal with delays you're gonna have to have emails where you're going to be pleading your case uh, along with 800 other labels as to why it should be pushed to the front. Um, you're, you're just going to deal with a lot of stuff. And sometimes I think there's, there is no lacking virtue in saying, you know, I don't know if I have all that energy to spend on, on a record label right now I've, i'm djing i'm i want to still produce i want i want to keep these two things going full throttle i don't know if i have the energy to allocate for a record label you can cut your energy down by about 75 percent by doing digital only wouldn't you say i'm sure you could yeah the thing is is i wonder how much of a chance how you know what are your chances getting cut down of that label becoming sort of success in the process because you know unfortunately vinyl is still used for a lot of people as a factor of um like a filtering technique as to whether this label is serious or not or considered uh, a label of quality yeah which know? basically says i can only take you seriously if you're rich <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I mean, it is a good filter, though. Like, listen, if a person's willing to put up two or three thousand dollars or euros to risk on this artist or themselves as an artist, then I'm more willing to listen to that person's opinion than someone who is willing to put up zero, which isn't necessarily fair because some people just don't have two or three grand to put up. Yeah. But I feel like if you have more to lose, um, you're willing you take it more seriously. Maybe that's not a direct correlation and maybe that's a bit uh, archaic to think that way, but I'm I, one of those guys that a, thinks that way. I think it's a, a reality of it's, it's a silly, it's, it's a silly. I mean, if you want to talk, of, we have plenty of silliness in our world. You have to be a good producer to get booked as a DJ. Those two things have virtually nothing to do with each other. No, it's changing, but that's still the reality. Yeah, and and so you have, uh, as a result, you end up having a lot of people that aren't good DJs who are getting booked uh, over. I know I have the everybody knows the person in their life, and you're like, man, if this person could get some bookings as a DJ, they would they would just destroy the place. You know, like I. I think everybody has, I would say everybody has like five people that were just really good DJs and then they never got into production. Um, and it's almost kind of cool whenever I do meet a DJ that's still surviving today um, or even struggling and they, they say, I don't want to produce. I don't enjoy producing. There have definitely been long DJ mixes on SoundCloud, but how many are, are we the first, are we the pioneers of the marathon talk techno radio podcast in this realm? Yes. You're going to, you're going to at some point be uh, your discogs profile 
will be Dustin Zahn, known mostly for his marathon interviews with DJs. And never shutting up. Also a producer and a DJ on the side. Yeah. Uh, talker slash DJ slash producer. You should get business cards. Do you remember when people would get business cards and it would say DJ slash producer? Slash vocalist slash turntablist. Yeah, I remember those. What you need, man. And you'd get like some real funny graphics on those too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Microsoft clip art at its finest. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. All right.